I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 86th Texas Legislature. This week, everybody hates property taxes. Duh. But what can state lawmakers really do about them beyond shake their fist up at the heavens and down at those awful local officials who are to blame for everything wrong with the world these days? Since there's no statewide property tax in Texas, the state can't cut them. No one disputes that. But they can reform the way they're levied by cities and counties and school districts by reining in their uncontrolled growth. Under current law, local officials who wish to raise rates must ask the permission of voters, their constituents, if revenues collected increase 8% or more, and if voters collect enough signatures to force an election. The 85th legislature tried to lower that threshold but failed, unable to split the difference between the House's plan, 6%, and the Senate's plan, 4%. Subsequently, Governor Greg Abbott said, well, how about 2.5%? That seemed like gubernatorial campaign pie in the sky. But fast forward to the start of the 86th session, when identical legislation filed in the House and Senate took the governor's number, 2.5%, as its starting point. So here we are. The war over property taxes is once again joined. Fortunately, this week's guest is the Douglas MacArthur of that war. Paul Bettencourt, Republican of Houston, used to be the tax assessor and collector of Harris County and today represents Senate District 7, whose previous occupant, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, appointed him a few weeks back to chair the newly created Senate Property Tax Committee. Along with his counterpart in the House, Ways and Means Committee Chair Dustin Burroughs, Bettencourt is quarterbacking the bill that has defined this session's debate. But can it pass? If the two chambers couldn't split the difference at a higher percentage last time, what makes them think a lower percentage will fly this time? Won't the same mayors and county commissioners and city council members who stormed the Capitol with pitchforks and torches in 2017, complaining that their hands were being tied, be back in force? And the much more than $64,000 question, what will this ultimately mean for school finance? Chairman Betancourt and I talked about all this and more when we sat down on the afternoon of February 5th, day 29 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by Deloitte. Deloitte and its subsidiaries have more than 80,000 professionals with a single focus, helping their clients solve their toughest problems. Learn more at Deloitte.com and by the Texas Taxpayers and Research Association. Terra has a long-standing legacy of promoting effective conservative fiscal policy over taxes, school finance, and the budget. More at ttara.org. And by Ryan, a global award-winning tax services firm dedicated to delivering substantial value and improved profitability to the world's most respected companies. Learn more at ryan.com. Congratulations. Property taxes are an emergency item. Well, that's important. Because You're off the leash. Right. <laughs> and we're off the leash starting tomorrow morning. Uh, well, that's right. And, and I want to get to that right away. So as a practical matter, for people who don't understand the ins and outs of the legislature as well as you might or I might or I might think I might, that means that you're not uh, constrained by the calendar 
you can begin work in a meaningful way and move this ball down the field in a meaningful way immediately as opposed to having to wait a certain period of time. Right. Well, there's a specific vote requirements that are waived because of the emergency declaration. And we're off and running literally the next day with yep. the hearing starting at 8 o'clock and public testimony is welcome at 1230 because we want – not only to for people to understand what we're talking about, but it's really critical that Texans get their opinions into the process. So you're, you haven't decided the uh, the end of this movie before. It's not. This is a little bit more of a choose your own adventure thing than we imagined. Well, it, look, a tax bill is always very complicated, and there's a lot of small little tweaks. We've got a half a dozen cleanup items already on a on a committee substitute, which means we're ma- fixing things that needed to be fixed technically. And there's some big issues out there to. to to hear from. So uh, we've I've had this tour around the state. We've gone everywhere from Lubbock to the Valley uh, to, you know, Tarrant County uh, to, uh, you know, Collin County, Montgomery County, you name it, Harris County, of course, and Austin. Uh, so, so I think it's time for us to put together a good package. And of course, we've got executive level sponsorship like we've never had before. Right. You've got uniform views of not only the fact that the issue is important, but how the issue might be resolved, at least a starting point. And I want to I want to get to that in a second. You announced the hearing you're referring to tomorrow before the state of the state. I'm assuming you had a heads up. <laughs> well, we had an inkling. You had an inkling. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and as you say, you want to listen to voters in that hearing tomorrow. The word hearing has the word hear in it. You will hear from voters. You will listen to voters. You pledge that when voters come and tell you, this is what we think, when people who may not agree with you come and sure. tell you what you think, you will take those points of view into account. No, I mean, we've invited Dick Levine to come speak because that right. we're going somewhere to, to the left of uh, Trotsky. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, right. But, yeah. you know, but, and, and maybe I'm somewhere to the right of Trotsky. Okay. So right. for at least uh, for the record, um, now, we, we want to hear from everybody. Look, you, you look out on these subdivisions that are just, you know, to the southwest of, of the river here. Right. They're, they're in terrible pressure and gentrification. You look out on the east side of, of, of Austin, and look, the state bird of Texas is no longer the mockingbird. It's the construction crane. And with that type of pressure on new growth, you're going to have that issue in every city, and we have it in every major urban area. We have it in all the suburban areas. And it has moved well into the rural Texas as well. Yeah. Because as values go up, the real problem is tax rates never come down, and that's why people's tax bills are going through the roof. So this is why that gets to the question I want to ask you. So why is this, as far as it goes, an emergency? I understand the concept of an emergency item as it relates to the state of the state and the, and the, and the acceleration of the process to deal with the issue. But why is this an emergency now? What the governor said today in his state of the state speech was that the property tax system as it currently exists punishes families and businesses and prevents younger Texans from achieving their dream of home ownership. I don't get the sense out in the world, while this is one issue of many, that it is necessarily first on the minds of Texans. Does it really qualify as an emergency as yes, far as it, it does. goes? When you look at uh, the polling and all the individual uh, discussions we've had, um, uh, you know, the recent Flores special election, number one issue. That was um, a big issue that oh, he made in that in that district. Number one issue, by far, okay? Right. You look at what's happened even in the last election, what few local issues that could get through that tremendous fog of, 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 of really the fog of war coming out of the, of the D.C. at this point on issues, the property taxes could pierce it. Now, and the reason why it's simple, 
in the last four years from 2013 to 17, we've had unprecedented increases in property tax bills. When you add up city bills, county bills, special district bills, and most importantly, school tax bills, you look at uh, Harris County, up 37%, just in four years. Literally, people, the average home was paying nearly $3,700. They're paying almost 5000 Same mathematics in Dallas, slightly lower percentage, 33%. In Travis County, you would be almost the exact same percentage, but Travis County Commissioner's Court chopped off 11 pennies off their tax bill because they were trying to hold their homeowners whole. So that kind of lowered the average there to the upper 20s. The point is that across the state, that from your perspective, the payment of property taxes has run rampant. No, it's exploded. It's okay. ex- it's exploded. Now, if you're a homeowner, you're seeing eight, nine, ten percent, seven, eight, nine, ten percent increases year after year. The problem is your personal income, especially your wage growth, is is you're left behind by two or three times. Right. If you're a business owner, you would love to have just increases of seven, eight, nine, ten percent because those increases are fifteen to twenty percent. And oh, if you're renting right now and you think you're getting a free lunch, you're, you're not. You're being eaten for lunch. It's being passed along. Oh, no, that's the number right. one increases in rent all right. across the state. So let's talk about the law that exists now and what the bill that you've uh, introduced on the Senate side, Chairman Burroughs introduced on the House side in alignment, what it would do. So the law currently is if um, if revenues go up by more than 8%, 8% then uh, and voters uh, uh, get enough signatures to get the election on the ballot, they must uh, – you have to go to the voters. That, right. That's basically the, the deal. Well, it's, currently. It's, it's called the rollback. Right, bill. currently. It's, it's been at 8% for well over 35 years, and, and it needs to be reduced because it's, it's not an effective limit on government. The 8% number is really the inflation number. Every district gets their own growth to add to that. So the problem is right now under the current law, uh, taxing jurisdictions can grow at 12 13 14% a year. And no election. And no voters. Right. And no petition. Say so, right. Well, because look, look, to do a petition in Travis County, you'd have to fill up the drum, you know, um, you know, I don't know, four, three times, let's say. If you did a petition in Dallas, you'd have to fill up Jerry's World. Oh, in Houston, you'd have to fill Reliance Stadium up twice. Now, so no the, one, the mechanism is too onerous for no, voters to have, a, to, have, to have a say. No, it's not so, uh, we'll you come need to, an automatic election. Right. So we're going to come back to what you attempted to do unsuccessfully last session where sure. you were trying to lower that threshold, but now you've sort of leapfrogged that and gone even lower. And so the bill that you've put forward is a 2.5% threshold. Right. And is an automatic election? Absolutely. No requirement that voters No petition. petitions. Right. I remember when the governor made the initial proposal last year, if I recall correctly, standing in front of a campaign backdrop, not the <laughs> state of the state of, of Texas uh, seal or the governor's right. office backdrop. His uh, talked about, at least briefly, requiring a two-thirds vote, not a majority vote. Well, we already have a 60% supermajority vote in the code. Right. So that was just an increase of effectively 6%. But your bill, SB2, does not require— No, we keep the existing 60%. So the the plan is it goes immediately—if it goes above 2.5%, it goes immediately to the voters, and 60% have got to approve— Right. No, and and it's a it's a um, more complicated uh, uh, calculation. There's like 43 steps in it. It's 2.5 plus new growth plus first time homestead exemptions. But in in essence, but in essence, right? It's two and a half percent on what the old tax rule was plus new growth. Now, why is that important? Look, 
you can't have people chasing 90,000 signatures in, in three months. It's just not going to happen, public policy-wise. It's it's a prohibited statute the Although way it that, is. I mean, let's be honest. That's part of democracy. It may not have been part of democracy in the state of Texas, but initiative and referendum is a part of democracy in some other states. Well, it, and it is in home rule city. Collecting okay. signatures is not the worst thing in the no, world. But, it's not but, anti-democratic. But, but, it it but, may be a pain in the butt. Well, but collecting an, a, an onerous number is preposterous. Look, you can't collect uh, 150,000 signatures in 90 days. It, it just doesn't work like that. But what does work is if you have a good limit, then you let the taxing jurisdiction take the case of the public. Now, it's no different than what happens with taxpayer ratification elections, bond issues, et cetera. Right. Not all are going to pass, but not all are going to fail either. Would you think that this idea of going to the – I want to unpack the specifics of this in a second. But do you think that this idea of going to the voters, if, if government goes above a certain point, should really be spread around? Maybe you should go to the voters if the state raises spending in the budget by more than 2.5%. If it's okay at the local level, why not force voters to approve what you do at the state level? Well, and the good news is that what's good for the goose is literally good for the gander here because we um, are actually bringing the state in involvement in, in, in public education in, and we're looking at the 800-pound gorilla right in the face, which is Robin Hood, and say we got to wean off it. we got to reduce it. Yeah, but you don't think generally that if, if it's okay for local officials to be, in big quotes, constrained in sure. their ability to raise revenue. Maybe the state, maybe budget writers at well, the state, Chairman Nelson, Chairman Zerwash should be told, you can't well, increase spending by, by way, more than 2.5% unless you go to the vote. The Senate already has a bill. We passed it several sessions in yeah. a row. And you know the bill number because it's inflation and population. So we've tried to set what are reasonable top-down guidelines for both the state and local government. Here's the problem. The rollback rate started off being 5% in the late 1970s. It went up to 8% in 1981. Right. And it's been there for all almost 37 years, even though we're, we've been in a, a very low inflation. So you feel the change is overdue? Yeah, change is well overdue. Let's be very clear with people about what you are doing and are not doing. You are not cutting property taxes. No. You are, are reining in the unrestrained right. growth of property Right, we taxes. call that property tax relief. It's relief. And and this bill is not be, a cut. So no one will campaign on this or talk about this well, as a cut. Anybody can do what they want to do, but the but guy it is that, not a cut. But the guy that's been talking about this bill for three years says the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Because and, and the reason is there's no statewide property tax. No, so right. you can't cut property tax. Right. So you have to slow the rate of growth. Here's right. now by the way, those huge increases I talked about Evan before this two and a half would knock well over more than half of those increases off without a positive vote of the public. And and that's important because, look, an average family, you know, with an average home in Texas, they're paying $5,000 a year. If the bill had been in place since 2013, they'd pay, you know, roughly less than $4,200. Um, and, and that meant that for every year they owned that home, they would have kept $750 in their pocket. Now, that's big money. For education, it's big money for healthcare. It's big money for whatever they want to use it, because uh, because and part of it is that uh, if we don't, we are putting home ownership at risk because the cost of acquisition is not just what you buy, it's how much it costs you to maintain it year over year. Because it's a really a two and a half percent rental rate for the for the rest of your life. So you're going to go from eight percent ideally down to two and a half percent. I have a very clear memory of what happened last time. Last sure. time the House wanted to go down to six, Senate wanted to go down to four. You guys could not agree to split the difference at five. 
Well, it was more complicated than that, but if you stand back from it, basically, <laughs> you were fighting over six and four, and then subsequent to the session, the governor said, hold my beer, let's do two and a half. Well, it's actually better than that. Look, the House was at six, and they, they did sign and die and leave us with that choice because we were at four, and we chose not to do it because there wouldn't have been any measurable property tax relief. But here's the real truth. House was at six, the Senate was at four, and the governors decided we're going to compromise at two and a half. So we're there. Okay, and that's how things work. That's, that's, that's the kind of compromise we have in California. <laughs> well, I thought you didn't want a California, my Texas. No, we have a governor that's got a strong opinion about keeping people right. in their homes and their businesses. But as a practical matter, uh, uh, Chairman, because I know you can count votes as well as count tax collections, <laughs> the reality is if you couldn't get it done at splitting the difference between six and four, what leads you to believe you can get 2.5 passed? If you couldn't do it last time, why are you going to be able to do it this time? Well, we didn't try it last time, so this has the, uh, should I say, so the, the uniqueness of never being tried So before. the reason that it didn't split the difference is because there was really no procedural me mechanism or method no, to do it. No, because once... Once, once the, they signed, he died. No, once they signed, he died, there was no negotiation. So we couldn't say, pick a number. Uh, my joke line with now Speaker Bonham was, there's a lot of... Uh, numbers if you use decimals between four and six, uh, but we didn't even get the chance. Look, the, the speaker... And he was the one in the lead on the other side of the... Well, he was the one that... The Chair of Ways the current, and Means. Right, the chair... The, he, was, uh, he was in the lead on the House Ways and Means Committee, but the speaker was the one that was calling the shots on the bill. Look, um, the, the speaker's excited... So, uh, excuse, excuse me, are you saying that you think Speaker Strauss was the reason that they wouldn't go below six? There's no question. You think uh, now Speaker Bonin, then Chairman Bonin, was willing to go below six? No, but but I, I can't speak for any individual member. But from observing the process, sounds like you just spoke for Strauss. No, well, I can I can observe because no matter what number was brought up, it was never it was never acceptable. So your belief is that Speaker Bonin is more open to a number lower than six than his predecessor was. I, there's no question because he passed it out of his committee uh, in 2015. And the reality is, Chairman Burroughs, who is appointed chairman by Speaker Bonin would not have been the architect of the House version of this bill without the Speaker's assent, well, one assumes. You, one, you can make all the logical assumptions you want to make, but here's, here's the point, Adam. Yeah. Look, when have you seen, and you've been an observer of politics a long time in this town, that you've got the governor, lieutenant governor, and the Speaker up with the House Ways and Means Chair and, and, a, and the chair of, of effectively of, on the bill? That I haven't seen that in my adult this life. This early, no. In fact, it's kind of making me mad because it's a little bit too much kumbaya from my liking. <laughs> I want you well, guys at so each other's I don't throats. know. Where's the, he needs some more controversy for, to generate some more well, uh, we'll come some to, stories. We'll come to Mr. Seliger in a second and his, <laughs> and his, and his role in this. Um, I want to talk about what happened last time, kind of part two. So part one was six, four, for whatever the reason, you didn't come to an agreement. Now you find yourselves at 2.5. The other thing that happened was that mayors and city council members and county commissioners and local officials of all types and stripes objected loudly, not 100%, but a great number of them, to the idea that you were going to put handcuffs on their ability to raise revenue. What makes you think that's going to be different this time? Well, if they were handcuffs, I didn't see any because it's, again, it's not a hard revenue cap. It's a rollback rate with an election. So anybody can take any good idea to the public and have it ratified. Now, what's happened in the last two years? Property tax bills have gone through the roof. Everybody is paying. 
This is, I don't care where you live and where you sleep, what you, what you look like. This is an everybody pays problem now, and it's everywhere in the you state. You think that the mayors and the county commissioners and the city council members with their pitchforks and torches have come around to your way of thinking well, in the last two years? there's been more than you'd be surprised. We've already got resolutions from some counties like Collin County that are supportive. Um, we've heard some very interesting things already because, and here's why, look, Evan, it doesn't matter. Everybody has an opinion, and then the opinion has to be back-checked by reality or fact. In this particular case, there's no question that people's property taxes are up like rocket ships. If the state can recognize the fact that we've got to wean off of recapture and and and, and do, reduce Robin Hood, then everybody can look at this problem and realize you can't put taxpayers at this, under this type of pressure. Now, we're going to have this discussion tomorrow. The tenor of the meetings have already changed. We have people saying, well, maybe I should have taken a 5% deal. Maybe I should have taken a lower deal. You've heard all that stuff right and now. And th do you think it's the election that people got a message from the voters in the last campaign cycle that said, you were not serious enough about this bucket of issues, get serious this time? I, I think that, that like all elections, they, it can help focus everybody's energies on what's really needed to be done in the next session. We have to have school finance reform. If you're going to do school finance reform, you've got to put money in to break the recapture grip and the and the Robin Hood grip that that the state budget has on the school. Is districts. this a property tax bill, uh, Mr. Chairman? And then we're going to do school finance on the back end of it as a consequence, or is it really about school finance and we're doing property tax on the back end of it, or are they equivalent priorities? I think it's a distinction without a difference because we happen to be in the wise decision of having to do both, or the, or maybe the, you know, uh, you know, God favors the brave and the foolish is an old Irish Catholic saying, and we're going to do both. But as it turns out, doing both is the right thing to do. That look. The, the, and been, one can't be accomplished without the other. We I don't think so. We because, can acknowledge. Joe, because over half the tax bill is ISDs, mm, so if right. you don't provide tax relief, it's not measurable enough, or it's certainly not strong enough if you do the non-ISD portion of the bill. Now, the reality is that's going to cost money. Okay, and um, and we've talked about that on the uh, on the public uh, on the commission for public school finance, and that was a there a lot of great information in it. If you haven't read it, if you're a public policy person, right. read the report. And if you want to know how much it's going to cost, unfortunately, the main body of the report won't tell you. Only the appendices will tell you. And that was a fight <laughs> that you all had at the end of the school finance commission process. Why not attach a number if you've got these ambitious? Goals to fix school finance, be transparent about what it's going to cost. But that's really what the legislative process is about. Okay, we, first off, we didn't even know what the revenue estimate was going to be going in on that. So you kicked the can slightly down the road until the actual legislative process kicked in. Well, because you have to get the estimate right. of revenues from the comptroller. Let, let me come back to the question of local officials and their objections last time and possibly this time. You yourself have been a local elected official. Absolutely. Not everybody in that, build, in that building was a local <laughs> elected official. You have been a local elected official. Think back to when you were a local elected official. Would you like to be told, in essence, we don't trust you, local elected official, to do what you're supposed to, so we at the state level are going to essentially micromanage how you do your job? No, but because, see, that's not what we're doing. The rollback limits have been in Texas law since the 1970s. They're just too high. And because they're set too high, they don't provide enough property tax relief. Now, that's really the mathematics. And they, of and they were set at the state level. They were set at the state level. So then you don't blame local elected officials, as I said earlier, for getting off the leash in the same way that I was referring to you being off the leash because this is an emergency item. You don't think that the problem here is those awful elected officials at the local level? I think that what's happened is that we have limits, top-down guidelines that have been set too high. 
we're letting tax bills grow too fast, and we have to do something about it now. So now, you're correcting your own mistake, the state's well, mistake, I, not a, their mistake. Well, the, the state's mistake was made when they raised it to 8% during a high inflation period. And this for the millennials, they won't even know what you know stagflation or hyperinflation is, but we had it back in the late 70s, early 80s. They raised that rollback rate to eight right. and they've never lowered it. Now, people have taken advantage of that um, and they haven't lowered their rates because here's what I find the most disingenuous, the most disingenuous about anybody that comes and testifies before me. If they walk in tomorrow and say, I haven't raised your taxes, and I'll ask them why not. And if they say, I haven't raised your rate, that's just a lie. Because, because appraisals go up and therefore people are paying more. Right. The appraisals go up and tax rates don't come down. That means the taxing jurisdiction banks all the money into the cost. And the end user, the end payer, is, to ultimately pay. Pay, is, is ultimately right. paying more. Another argument that local officials will make is, look, the state has gotten out of the business of doing things that it used to do, and we now have all these unfunded mandates at the local level. So by constraining our ability to easily raise revenue at the local level through increases in property taxes to making it more onerous for us to do so, you are ultimately constraining our ability to provide the services that you have essentially required us to provide at the local level. Well, I wasn't to which here, you say, well, to which I say, I'm not aware of a, of a major mandate that we passed in four years since I've been here. Um, we're trying to make sure that the public who has to pay the bills has input into the process. Right. Now, just like they do with, with all the, the constitutional amendments that we pass uh, here on a regular basis, for example, the transportation set aside was passed by constitution uh, and by vote of the public. And we just have to get the consumerism of the payers involved with the decisions of the spenders. That's the accountability mechanism. It is. Now, there's yeah. a ton of real accountability. In fact, beginning the way, with the fact that you have to stand for election if you're a local elected official. In some ways, the most simple-minded answer to this whole accountability question is, wait a minute, all these off-the-leash local elected officials have to stand for election. Well, but it's If they get out of hand, they can get voted okay. out of office. Yeah, but, but Evan is complicated. Look at Travis <laughs> County. How many different entities are on your tax bill that could pay? Okay, There's over half a dozen. In Harris County, there's nine on average. Now, there's a great portal that the, the, that the appraisal district here has put together. Um, it's a real-time tax notice portal, and we're going to use that as best practices around the state. You're, you're saying that Austin and Travis County are best practices? There is a real-time portal. Now I've seen everything. I know, you have, because, and that's and, and evident, but it's true. When you, it's, it's the best piece of technology <laughs> that we've seen around the state. So let's adopt it, because you first off have to know how much is your bill going up before you can ask the question why. So, so you don't think that voters can take their frustration at this process out on elected officials at election time and leave it at that? That's no, not, not exclusively because, look, people have four-year terms, et cetera. And by then, look, and here's why. This is a really important point. A four-year term means that your tax bill has gone up 37% in Houston, 33% in Dallas, nearly equivalent number. You don't in have accountability County. quickly enough. Right, you don't. And and the problem is, and the accountability split, well, it's you've got the ISD portion, which has all school finance on it. You've got the county for a 20 to 25%. You've got a city for 20 to 25%. You've got special districts. You've got all this fragmented accountability. So why not focus it on when the tax bill comes out or, you know, the process comes out, the hearings occur, you can see it online, and then if taxing jurisdictions want more money, just go to the public just, and ask. Just go to the voters. You, you talked about the relationship to school finance. 
I want to understand exactly what the intent here is. So you want to rebalance the seesaw. Sure. The theory here is that we've gotten out of balance. Right. Local taxpayers are paying too much. The state's share of public education funding went from about 50% in 2006 to somewhere in the mid-30s now. That's, right. that's effectively what it is. I know that the comptroller is calling for a return to 40%. I know how much it would cost to get back to 50%. It's a lot. But you want to rebalance the seesaw. You can see this online, you know, on my website. Well, okay. Just show, show me. No, yeah, right. No, okay, this, show this them. Is, right. This is okay. radio. No oh, one's this paying is radio. attention. Oh, I, yeah. thought, I thought we were broadcasting, too. No, that's okay. Now, and the interesting thing yeah. is that this is TEA, all in, all sources. It actually started out the local share in back 10 years ago was 52%. It dropped to 46 because the federal stimulus money came in by five years by 12. And then that evaporated and the shares back to 50. This is recapture plus right. state plus federal. Right. It's half the coin, okay? Now, I think that's a great place to stop the debate because this is what we should try to uh, uh, try to freeze You out. would like to inverse this ideally and have uh, the state pick up a, a more significant share of the funding of public education right. and reduce but, the share of local taxes. But the first thing you got to do is stop the stop the change. Right. So whether we freeze recapture, we use that was one of the earlier ideas. The the governor's two and a half percent plan goes a long way to that. And more importantly, again, I go back to the commission on uh, on on public school finance. There's a bunch of ideas in there on repurposing existing money, about five billion of it, into programs like performance based pay that we believe makes a huge difference. So there's addition through subtraction in school finance in the sense that there's money currently being spent on things that you all would recommend. Sure. Maybe you were unanimous about this or not that 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 should be spent on. But there was things. at least three billion of new money in there as well. <clears throat> right? Can you guarantee? The people who are concerned about the rebalancing of the seesaw, can you guarantee that this won't ultimately be a wash for public ed? In other words, you reduce the share of local property taxes that go into public ed, you increase the state's share, but in the end, the net allocation for public ed is a wash. No, it's not, it's not going to happen that way. Uh, clearly, there's tremendous focus on uh, raising teacher pay. Uh, both the base and performance-based pay. When you look at any mathematics of that, that means you're going to have net more money in the system. There, there's no way that you can accomplish everything you've enumerated. Governor Abbott today in his State of the Union, or State of the State speech, State of Our Union, uh, called out teacher pay <clears throat> as one of his priorities. School safety is one of his priorities. No, there's going to be dollars associated with that. Right, there of course, there, there has to be dollars. I mean, that's just, that's just a, that's a mathematical fact. Now, look, right. but the key thing with all of this is that what do we spend the money on? And that's why I want people to read that report because there's some really good ideas in there. Look, right. Yeah, and I, you want accountability. Speaking of accountability, you want accountability for the schools and the districts that are receiving the additional funding. Of course. Or, right. I mean, now, and here's another idea. Just because we're raising teacher pay, no offense to the administrators listening, doesn't mean that your pay is going to go up. Okay? Right. Of course, my question was a step before that. Why are you mandating an increase in every teacher's pay, which I believe the Senate-based budget does? Sure. Good teachers? Bad teachers, everybody in has between teachers, everybody has an opinion right now. now thought, well, why why would you give more money to bad teachers? I just that seems well, so completely opposed to your values. Well, you know that's every budget starts out as a base bill, and then it gets modified. But the but here's clearly, do you think that's a good idea to give money to bad, to give five thousand dollar raise to bad teachers? Well, I think clearly we're going to have a big discussion about it. Okay. Now, importantly, and by the way, that wasn't in your plan. No, it? of course not. But but it's in the base budget. Okay. Now look, but these are good things to talk about. 
because you have to understand that one of the things that I found was very interesting was that we didn't have performance-based pay, except in places like Dallas that right. did... The from, governor, governor called out today his well, admiration for the way that Dallas was approaching some but of it's, it's but, but, Evan, it's worth 30 seconds on this. Yeah. Let me explain why. It's not just Dallas ISD. It's the fact that they're working with Dallas Community College. Oh, and then they work with American Airlines and, uh, and let's see, IBM. And then those private employers give 25 or more employees to go into the high schools and help improve graduation rates, some of which the, the high school that has one of the big, most dramatic improvements has 98% free lunch level, which means it's very incredibly Among the most economically disadvantaged schools. But the results right. are so positive. And look, right. as, a, as a guy from H-Town, which is Houston, yeah. Big D's kicking our butt because they have leadership in Dallas that we also have seen now in, in, in San Antonio, and in El Paso, people using public-private char- chartership bills like the one Senator Menendez and I passed last session. They're looking at best practices, and they're getting that teacher pay up to a place where young millennials can do what their passion is but also make a living because, quite frankly, if you're not making you know a decent uh, chunk of money, you can't live in, in downtown Austin. Given how difficult it is to afford It is to, because to, to of property taxes. So let me come back around okay. to property. Yeah, I, I would love to talk public education with you, but I want to stay on the property tax question and ask this. You had talked about appraisals sure. earlier being the problem. If appraisals are the problem, why not target appraisals? Why not target appraisal districts? Senator Flores has said to me, you mentioned him earlier as having run a race that was largely about the issue of property taxes. He says you have all these appraisal districts with their all running independent of one another. They're not consistent in the way that they make decisions about. You guys talk all the time about how, you know, the problem is um, a, a, an imperfect patchwork quilt of regulations. Ask around your the state. question. I've got the answer. Well, why not come out? Well, because it's in the bill already. Okay. Talk, talk about All right. that. We've got a half a dozen serious appraisal reforms in the bill. The first major one is the one you've talked about and Senator Flores has talked about. We establish uh, you know, best practices commission at the comptroller's office. And we mandate, mandate, and it's not anything else but a mandate, that every appraisal district use the same standards, all 253 of them, because there's at least one that's combined. Okay, And because that's a big problem. Because appraisal districts, they use whatever standards they want to use. There's actually going to be so a manual. So you're standardizing the appraisal district process as part of this sure. effort to right. get all this stuff in. And we're into, looking at appraisal it. review board, uh, you know, changes. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that we haven't decided on is, quite frankly, we've got no one can fire an ARB member. Well, interestingly enough, governor today, here's a line from That's the right, governor's speech. Right. Okay, here, here it is. <laughs> I propose giving taxpayers the ability to fire their property tax appraiser and elect a better one. Right. So here's what we're going to do. It's almost like we have a statewide property tax system. <laughs> well, well, we're not quite there, but let's look at where we are there. Yeah. Okay. The appraisal review boards, one of the things we found out in our last hearing in Montgomery County just in November, we actually, I actually, it, it took a lot of effort because I had to get three reluctant AERB chairmen to come speak because they didn't want to speak on the record. And I said, look, we're going to write this bill without you. So come talk to me. And and because one of the things we found out is they have no ability to fire an ARB member that is falls asleep, doesn't show up, that's incredibly biased. They have no ability. So we're going to give them that ability. Right. Okay. Isn't the, the flip side of the appraisal question that people love when they have high property values at sale time? They love that. <laughs> they want their houses to be worth a lot more according to the appraisal board. Well, What do you have against the real estate industry? Well, you know, the, the good news is uh, I, sus- I suspect the realtors to be strong proponents of the bill, but, here, but, but more importantly, here's why. Um, 
look, most of the sales in Texas are actually reported to the appraisal districts, okay? They buy the data, yeah. um, and there may be arguments, I think, in Travis County, there's an argument about it, but Dallas, Harris, and other places, it happens all the time. Right. So the appraisal districts do know the sales, and under the Constitution, you need to be valuing property at market. Now, the, the difference, of course, is there are legitimate differences in what that means, but at the same time, uh, look, we're on such an uphill uh, slope at this point that when you look at average tax bills up 37% in four years, okay, so we're looking at a ramp rate that literally is nearly 45 degrees, okay, on a chart. Um, we it, Everybody benefits. A rising tide does lift all boats. But at the same time, a rising tide on appraisals can leave a whole bunch of people behind, like in East Austin and Southwest, you know, Austin, and and they have to be given a chance to stay in their homes too. And, and we also have to set priorities because here's the big point about all this. Look, we passed the bill out of the Senate that says we would live with inflation and population, which is a much tighter measurement than the rollback rates that we're talking about. We set the priorities there. The individual elected officials have to do that for their taxpayers. All we're talking about doing is getting that top-down guideline that's been way too high for too many decades down to where it makes a difference now. And, and then they take any of the extra they need, just go ask the public. The public is capable of making a right. logical decision. <clears throat> so you are for truth in appraisals. Absolutely. Does that apply to commercial and industrial appraisals? It does. And, and, and by the way, and I'll tell you, I, when we get more time, I'll go through the data. Because regardless of what you've heard, in downtown Houston, in this four-year period, appraisals on downtown property went up 88% after ARB hearings. So the idea that somehow commercial and industrial appraisals are getting a break from the system and that commercial owner, uh, property owners and industrial property owners are not paying their fair share. You hear at campaign time from the other party, you did all throughout this last campaign, there's $5 billion available to us to put into public education or other programs if we simply level up well, commercial well, and industrial okay. property owners to pay their fair we, share. And Evan, and also we hear about the ag exemption too, okay? And we hear about the high cost the, gas exemption. Right. I mean, of oh, course, but I'm right. saying specifically, right. do you now, believe that commercial industrial appraisal rates and payments are at the proper level? Okay, that that is that's done by the state ratio study. And if those numbers show a problem, okay, then the appraisal districts have to move quickly or they have serious consequences, okay? Now, there's always a lag because remember, here's the thing that most of the public doesn't realize is that whenever we're talking about a tax bill we just made, we just paid the bill, okay? Right. And if you didn't, it cost you 7% more this month and if you didn't pay your bill. Well, that snapshot occurred over a year ago. So part of the problem is you've got lag in the system. And then now, then, and you do have situations like refineries that don't move a long time, but we're not accepting salvage value on the refineries either. See, there's always an argument on both sides of what, to, what you do. Right. You are the chairman of the property tax committee. You're not the chairman of the residential property tax committee. So if somebody wants to press the issue of whether commercial and industrial property tax rates are appropriately set and Bring being the data paid. And they can come make the presentation. Because you said you believe in truth and appraisal. Absolutely. Look, you, because, you and by the way, and the state ratios are done by classes, which right. is residential <clears throat> and industrial yeah. and commercial, et cetera. Look, it, nothing is perfect. Nothing is ever 100%. Right. So, but, but, so, so bring your data. And if you want to talk about what's happening to your taxpayers, the first thing is make sure you know how much you've raised taxes on them. 
Right. You uh, talked earlier, speaking of the specifics of this, you talked earlier about people are paying X and under the current system, they're, you know, they're paying X, but then if they know the new system, they would pay less. I remember when the franchise tax swap out happened in 06, we were told, sold, <laughs> property tax reform is here. And then no one could feel it. And my joke at the time was, not funny then or now, was I would say that it was only peanuts, except I would have preferred actual peanuts to what I got. Well, you, How can you assure us that we're going to feel it this time? We made a mistake, and I say we, I wouldn't hear, but I was actually a tax assessor flipping votes against the proposal on the floor of the House, okay? Because I knew it wasn't going to work, and here's why. If you don't control the rate of growth, if you buy down, and then you say, okay, everybody, you're off to the races. Unrestrained. Unrestrained. The fastest horse wins, and then everybody <clears throat> cha right. you know, chases the fastest horse. And what happened was within three years, all that buy-down was gone. So you acknowledge that was a miss. Oh, sure it was a miss. On the part of the state. I mean, look, I, I was also had to stand up and say there's not a $2,000 check in your mailbox. Um, at the time, uh, tax assessor Sylvia Romo in Dallas and I actually held a press conference right. as the D and the R and said this isn't going to happen. And it's, don't look for it. So you believe voters, constituents, will feel the effects of this reform? They would have felt the effects of it if we could have done it four years ago. How soon will they feel it this time? The, well, we, it can't get started until next year. So the first year they can see it is 2020. Right. Because, you know, the cynics will say this is really a political argument you're making more than an economic argument. It is great at campaign time, and you all will be back in campaign mode the minute the session is over to get reelected. Some of you in the Senate, but everybody in the House will be in, in campaign mode for 2020, and they love to campaign on the fact that we did something with your property taxes. Again, some will say cut, and that will be inaccurate. Right. But they want to be able to say, we did this, and yet the question is, will the voters actually feel it? Well, the, there's at a 2.5% rollback rate, they'll feel it. There's no question of that. It's not debatable. Anybody can argue, argue against it, but they don't have any mathematics that's, that's, that can sustain their argument. Right. Look, here's why. Every election has consequences. Okay. This one, however, actually focused, I think, on this issue as well as school finance. And so we're going to solve it. Now, I don't, I don't run every two years. And if I do, uh, if I did, I, I, I wouldn't change my, my stripes. I would be talking about tax relief and not a cut. To do what we did last session, well, I mean, uh, in, uh, do what the legislature did uh, in the last decade requires a lot of money for a buy-down. But if you don't slow the rate of growth, anything you do, buy down sales taxes, excise taxes, whatever else will be consumed and you'll be right back where you started. So the emphasis on is slowing the, the it's, it's, a, it's absolute necessity to slow the rate yeah. of growth of the property tax bills. So speaking of politics, I can count to 31 <laughs> and I can count to 19. 19 is the number of votes sure. you need to bring a bill to the floor of the Texas Senate. Right. Last time when it was 2011, Republicans and Democrats, the last session, you had 19 Republicans vote for your version of, of property tax reform. Sure. Senator Seliger, former mayor of Amarillo, voting more like a local official than a senator, um, joined the Democrats in voting against this. This time you have 19 Republicans, including Senator Seliger. Right. 12 Democrats. So All 19 minus 1 is 18. Is 18. Right. How do you get the bill to the floor of the Senate unless Senator Seliger, not Chairman Seliger, I'd observe... But Senator Seliger, unless he comes around to this idea, how do you get the bill to the floor of the Senate? Well, you know, on this particular issue, um, I've talked to Senator Seliger actually during, as far back as during his campaign. And I said, look, we're going to have a bill that comes, because I didn't endorse in his campaign. 
Um, as the Senate Republican caucus chair, it's not my job to endorse and, and contest the primaries. Who is your political consultant, by the way? Um, I, I have more than one, but who do you want to know about? Well, did you have a political <laughs> consultant working for you who also worked for one of Senator, Senator yes, Seliger's I do, opponents? But that's his that's his decision, not me. So, right. I mean, I literally had a discussion. So, Senator Seliger did not take the fact that that campaign was run by a consultant of yours and a consultant of the lieutenant governor's well, as a hostile act. Well, he didn't take we that discussion didn't come up with me because I told Senator or Seliger, I wasn't endorsed. You guys are good. Yeah, right. I, I believe we are because we've always dealt with each other straightforward. So you've talked to him about this bill. Right. Yeah. Now, his comments, he's talking about the appraisal side versus the tax rate side. Look, we've got plenty of time to have that discussion. And also, too, we've had Democrat votes for plans at 5% before. Just not this last plan that you put forward at 4%. Right. But so the question was, is, which of the but, Democrats, uh, name names, okay, which Democrat okay. is open to 2.5%? But, but, but that's that was in a special session, so it wasn't required. So, okay. so, but you know which Democrats you're targeting. I, you know, well, I, does it I, rhyme with Eddie Lucio? Well, how about if I target everybody? You know why? Because every one of their tax bills are up like a rocket ship. Yeah, but has any Democrat yeah. come to you and said, "I'm open to this bill"? Um, more than one. Seriously. Okay. So you think the possibility of getting a Democratic vote for this bill at 2.5%, not at a compromise well, that you may have you to know, arrive at okay, later, you look, think it's higher than zero percent? Well, I, I think it's higher than. Look, right now, Evan, here's the deal. Recognize the obvious. The obvious is simply this. The state has to wean off of Robin Hood. The state has to reduce recapture. We need finance reform. I mean, school finance reform. And part of school not finance reform has got to be the ability for ISDs to lower the rate as the value comes up. I think that's a bill that Democrats could vote for. Whether they ultimately will vote for well, and it remains to be seen. And by the way, that's Shakespeare's undiscovered country. That's in the future. But when you look at just those elements, and by the way, not that it was a really a record vote, but go back to the vote at the school on, uh, on the Commission on Public School Finance. We had a 13 to 0 vote. You did. And it had the revenue items in there it that I'm talking about. It just didn't have a 2.5% rollback. Well, rate. it had, no, it did have one of three. One of three had the 2.5. It's in the, it's in the, in the summary. So you take uh, Representative Bernal and Senator West and other people who may be on the opposite side from you politically as having signed the plan well, as an endorsement of the 2.5%? There were other plans. There are two other plans because I put three in, and you know why? Options. Well, because it's a, it's a, it's right. a cafeteria style. And here's the important thing. Yeah. If you're going to make a deal, don't predispose what the deal is. All right, so on the subject, before we wrap up, on the subject of making a deal, you are open to compromise. Of course, always have been. It is entirely possible that the ultimate rollback rate will not be 2.5%, and there's a bill out there with a number other than 25 that you might be willing to agree to. Well, with, with everything, there is a season, okay? Right now, uh, we're going to have a hearing on a 2.5% plan. And, I, and by the way, and you'll see me tomorrow, when right. if people come in and they say, I can't live with it, it's the end of Western civilization. I've heard all of this before. I'm going to ask two questions. Okay, great. What number do you think you want? And oh, by the way, do you even know how much your tax bills or your revenue's gone up over the last three years? Right. When I did that in the last hearing, um, Mal Bellevue, gen the uh, general manager, couldn't even tell me how much his tax bills had gone up. He just knew that it was the end of the he world. He just didn't like the number. Yeah, but his tax bills, his, right. his levy had gone up 6.7%. point here is you're open to compromise. The point here is that anybody, that it's, it's the job of chairman to listen to everybody. What happens if you don't do it this time? 
<laughs> well, I can guarantee you, I'm, the one constant in the universe is that we'll be back in a special session. That's my personal opinion. You believe if you do not accomplish it in a regular, you'll be back in the special session? I'm 99.999% sure, and I've already told my, uh, the person I'm renting from that, you know, to keep my spot for the summer. Okay, I don't know if that's uplifting or depressing, <laughs> but we'll leave it there. Chairman, thank you very much. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, State Senator Paul Betancourt, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, Deloitte, the Texas Taxpayers and Research Association, and Ryan. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 86th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.